بسم الله بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم قال المصنف رحمه الله تعالى ونفر الله إياه بعلومه في الدارين All of this we have taken from the line in the poem Follow in your path the way meaning the method of the nasikin plural of nasik which means worshipper the ulama and ulama is plural for alim which refers to someone who knows the rulings of the sharia which are the foundation of the soundness of one's religion relating to beliefs and deeds so this is where we roughly left off before we begin i would like to share a piece of news with you that uh mashallah as you know our beloved friend and teacher, Ustad Fuad, and his family, Shireen, and the kids have been in Egypt this month. And uh, I think I may have mentioned in one of the classes that they've been, you know, trying to visit different people, different living and living and passed away. And mashallah, they visited a number so far of the people that we've studied at the Majlis. So they visited uh, the burial site of Imam al-Busiri, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the author of the Burda and gave salam from all the people at the majlis to him and they went to the grave of Imam al-Dardir who is the author of this paper uh, of this selection and they gave him our salam and then uh, actually this morning Ustad Fuad went to a class at a place that I've mentioned before at the Madhyafat al-Shaykh Ismail Sadiq al-Adwi rahimahullah and uh, <coughs> I mentioned before that the Madhyafat of Shaykh Ismail is one of the inspirations for the majlis and it's the place where you know the people come and the teacher teaches and they have food and stuff like that so he went today to attend a class there and he happened to be attending the class of Sheikh Jamal Farooq al-Daqaq Hafidhullah who's one of the senior scholars of an Azhar and a specialist in Kanam in particular philosophy and uh, theology and stuff and Sheikh Jamal <laughs> who's teaching Hashiyat <laughs> al-Sawi ala Sharh al-Musannif ala Khadirat al-Bahiyya He was teaching today in the class that Ustad Fuad attended the, comment, the meta-commentary on this poem on the same text and he got into the class and he was like oh I wonder where they are in the text and they're on the line of al-Ulama." they're on the line of the, they're on the section that this translation is on He's like, I wonder where they're in In the commentary on that line And they're in the section on the commentary on that line That is the section that we're covering today Subhanallah Subhanallah So he, you know, he went to the shaykh He knows the shaykh uh, He went to the shaykh and he you know, gave him salam And he asked for dua for everyone in the majlis And uh, you know, conveyed that we're doing this Mashallah So Sudfayan, subhanAllah. You call it coincidence, but it's not coincidence. One of the brothers said it's, uh, what is it? Quantum quantum, quantum physics? <laughs> but alhamdulillah, you know. Uh, it's a blessing, alhamdulillah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give tawfiq and to accept. So we left off talking a lot last time about the signs of such a shaykh. And we had those eight signs. Now he's going to get into uh, all of this. He says, all of this about the signs of the true shaykh we take from the line that says, follow the path of the nasikin al-ulama, the worshipping scholars, the worshipping scholars. 
And then he says that these scholars are the ones who know the teachings of the Sharia, which are the foundations of the soundness of one's religion relating to beliefs and deeds. Okay, this cannot be overemphasized. This is the foundation of the one of one's religion as relates to beliefs and deeds. Meaning, this is where everything comes from. The Sharia we take from the Quran, we take from the Sunnah of the Prophet them. And these people of knowledge who came generation after generation after generation have preserved the teachings of that Sharia such that we can know what it is that we are supposed to believe and we are, we are able to know what it is that we are supposed to do according to those textual sources. Because otherwise it's not really a religion, right? Like, That the deen is something that the person takes upon themselves to practice, to do. Of course, this doesn't mean part of our beliefs is that we don't say that someone's not a Muslim by a sin that they commit. It's a foundational belief agreed upon by Ahl Sunnah that no one becomes a non-Muslim by committing a sin. They become a corrupt person, they become someone who made a major scene, whatever, they might be eligible for some sort of punishment, whatever it might be, it's not the point, but the point is they don't become a non-Muslim. And there is a big consequence to this historically and up to today, which is when you take people out of Islam because of a sin that they commit, then the political consequence of that is often that their, their blood becomes halal, their property becomes halal, their families become halal. So we've seen this all throughout history, people who do this. They take this extreme position. Up to today we see this, right, with ISIS. They take this extreme position. These people who don't come on our side, then they're actually not Muslims, and we can fight them, and we can kill them, and we can take their women as slaves, and like all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and so the, the foundational beliefs tell us this, that no one becomes a non-Muslim by a sin they commit. But, you know, we learn what it is that we're supposed to do. What it is that we're supposed to believe, what it is that we're supposed to do. And <clears throat> how it is that we're supposed to see the world. How it is that we're supposed to look at the hereafter, to look at our own personal accountability, so on and so forth. All of that we learn from our deen. Then he says, what is meant by the nasikin and ulama are the pious predecessors, as-salaf as-salih, and those who follow them with excellence. So now, if you're paying attention, if you, you've been privy to many of the debates in the Muslim community that are very tiresome and oftentimes inaccurate. You might hear, for example, I don't follow Abu Hanifa, I follow the Salaf. I don't follow Malik, I don't follow Shafi'i, I don't follow Ahmed, I follow the Salaf. First of all, they're from the Salaf. So there's a, there's a contradiction in definitions of sorts in this whole thing. But note what he's saying. He's saying, what is meant by these people are the pious, pious predecessors, as-salaf as and those who follow them with excellence. Okay? And those who follow them with excellence. Meaning, the guidance that we have as an ummah does not end with 200 years after the Prophet That would be a big problem, right? Like imagine if, if we actually believed that all of the guidance and all of the true understanding of our religion and all of what's right about Islam ended 200 years after the Prophet and after that you can't know anything unless you go back to them. So everyone from now, we're in what? 1443? 1443, all the way until 200, all of those 1200 years, all of them were wrong. There's no good in them. All of them were wrong, all of them misled, all of them didn't know what they were doing. 
we have to go back to those 200 and, uh, and follow them. And yet the Prophet ﷺ taught us that in every single generation there will be people who are upright, who carry their religion, in every single generation. And every 100 years there will be someone who comes and revives the religion for the, for the believers. And so these are all there in the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ. So yes, we believe that there is no generation of people that is equivalent to the generation of the Sahaba. After the Sahaba, there's no generation of people that are equivalent to the generation of the Tabi'een. After the Tabi'een, there's no generation that's equivalent to the Tabi'een, and so on. That's true. And yet, in every single generation, there is true guidance. Every single generation, there's true guidance. And the way of the Prophet is not lost. It's not lost on the world until the end of time, maybe. I don't know the details of that, but perhaps at the end of time. Like last, last, last things. Their path can be summed up as one of beliefs, knowledge, and deeds in accordance with that knowledge. So beliefs, knowledge, deeds in accordance with that knowledge. This should sound very familiar to something we repeat over and 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 over again at the Majlis. What does this sound like? Can anyone answer the question? Beliefs, knowledge, deeds in accordance with the knowledge. This whole thing that he's talking about. What does this sound like? Anyone? What is the thing that we repeat over and over and over and over again? As a framework for understanding their religion. Quran, Sunnah, and Consensus is a, is a noble attempt. It's a noble attempt. You can't say that it's wrong because that's true too. That's true too. What else? Aqidah? Mm-hmm. You can, are you, is it even permissible? Are you allowed to answer? <laughs> Anyone else before we go to Sheikha? The three stool thing. The three, stool thing. Yeah. the three legs of the stool thing. Hadith yeah, Jibreel. Hadith Jibreel. Salam. Hadith Jibreel. You're going to see it in more, in more clarity right now. Hadith Jibreel. With the words that are used here, it's a little bit hard to decipher. There's no blame upon you. But as you'll see right now from what he's going to say, it becomes more clear. <clears throat> Those who came after as Salaf as from the great Imams of the religion, who we are required to follow, are comprised of three categories. Okay, there's something important here. Which which part of that sentence was important? There's a lot of it, but which which do you think stands out? Those who came after the Salaf from the great Imams of the religion, who we are required to follow, are comprised of the three categories. Who we are required to follow. Okay, who we, are, who we are required to follow. The the scholars, they always say, and this, again, you know, depending on the composition of your Muslim community experience and educational experience, sometimes this rubs really wrong. But, like, they'll say, for example, I'm Hanafi in my madhab. I don't ask what the evidence is from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. If I have a question on what is the issue, I have some issue. Can I do this? Can I not do this? I don't ask what does the Qur'an say and what does the Sunnah say. I ask, what did Abu Hanifa say? Some be like, wow, can I know? The-? Of course you can know the Qur'an and Sunnah, that's fine. You can know- Afterwards you can say, okay, was it based on something? What's the evidence? So on and so on. No problem. Understand. There's no problem in understanding. But part of my understanding is, Abu Hanifa knows better than me when it comes to understanding the Qur'an and the Sunnah. 
Shafi'i knows better than me when it comes to understanding the Quran and the Sunnah. Malik, Ahmed, for the Sunni, Sunni Islam, these are the four schools that were agreed upon. Pick one, doesn't matter. It's not the point. The point is to recognize Abu Hanifa knows better. Even we might do a translation, I'm thinking about it, by Imam al-Subki, can't remember which one, on the statement of uh, Imam al-Shafi'i, al-hadithu madhhabi. If the hadith is sound, then it's my madhhab. Right? Everyone knows this statement. You hear it all the time. One teacher I was listening to recently, he's like, you go to the gas station, the guy knows the, he knows this statement. If the hadith is sound, it's my madhhab. They know, everyone knows it. Everyone's ready. And they use it to say, I don't have to follow what Abu Hanifa said, I follow what the hadith says. I don't have to follow what Malik said, I follow what the hadith says. Who told you you understood the hadith properly? I mean, really, like, who told you that? Who told you that you understood the hadith properly? Who told you that that hadith is the whole situation? It's not the whole situation. Now, people hear this and they're like, well, does it mean we get rid of critical thinking? And no. It just means that we want actual critical thinking. Not pseudo-critical thinking. Pseudo-critical thinking is to not really know a whole lot about a field and think you should have an opinion. The most common one that this happens in now, in the modern American situation, which one is it? And this is not about vaccines. Wallahi, I'm not getting on a thing about vaccines right now. But the most common place where this happens is in medicine. Everyone has their own opinion in medicine on every single issue. And they go to the doctor and they're like, I asked, it's the same thing. Sometimes I talk to doctors and I'm like, subhanAllah, it's like we're living in parallel universes. Which Imam al-Shafi'i actually said this. He said, Imam al-Shafi'i, he said, there's two knowledges. That's it. There's knowledge of religion and there's the knowledge of bodies. Medicine. He was, he was actually very knowledgeable in medicine, Imam al-Shafi'i. And when they said when he went to Cairo, the top physician of Cairo tried to recruit him to become a physician. Because he's like, he's, he noticed his brilliance and everything. He's like, you should come study medicine. He's like, it's okay, <laughs> I have my field, you know. But uh, everyone thinks they know. You know, everyone thinks they know. And it's okay, like it's okay to try to understand. It's okay to get an understanding. How does this work? What are the processes? You have to make some sort of justified decision in the end. But people are specialists for a reason. Right? Uh, if we want to open another can of worms, worms, chaplains are chaplains for a reason. Since Chaplain Sundus is here, we've had this conversation before. Chaplains are chaplains for a reason. Not like any imam who graduated from a program is a chaplain. They're not a chaplain. They're, they're barely an imam. They're someone who studied sharia. Or someone who studied tafsir. Or studied, being an, even an imam takes certain skill sets that maybe the person didn't acquire in their studies. Right? So the point is that there's areas of specialization. The religion is not different than that. People have spent their lives trying to understand. And if there's simple things that should make us think, give, give pause to this. Like Imam Abu Hanifa, he was born in 80 after Hijrah, he died in 150, and he was in the center of the Muslim lands. Okay? Are you always going to, are you going to find the evidence for his opinion in a book that was written 100 years after him? Does it mean that he didn't know it? Does it mean he didn't, no, of course not. But there's something going on there. Like when we really study the biographies of these people, you realize why there's deference given to their positions. And their schools are not them. This is really important to understand. The Hanafi school is not Abu Hanifa. The Hanafi school is thousands and thousands of scholars over many generations 
looking at the positions of Abu Hanifa and analyzing them. And actually, for most issues that we deal with in everyday life, they're not like, how do you pray and how do you not pray? Like, how do you deal with contracts? What kind of business interactions are acceptable? What aren't? So on and so forth. There's a lot of other things. Many of those positions actually aren't the positions of the imams. They're the positions of the people that came afterwards who followed their methodology. Anyways, this is its own issue. It could take days and days and days. But I have to say something because I feel like the way that we've been taught our religion is very like, what does the Qur'an say? What does the Sunnah say? And we don't even speak Arabic. <laughs> like, <laughs> I want you to tell me what the Qur'an and Sunnah says. I don't speak Arabic. I haven't studied. Even if I speak Arabic, I don't know anything about Nahu. I don't know anything about Hadith criticism. I don't even know that Hadith criticism is mostly an issue that applies to the Shafi'i and, ah and Hanbali methodologies and not as much to the Hanafi and Maliki methodologies. It's a whole issue. Like It's a huge issue. Okay? So the point is, there's imams we are required to follow. Meaning, we don't make this religion up for ourselves. I don't get to just make it up. There's a lot, of, there's areas I can have some level of creativity in. There's areas I can have some level of innovation in. Like I know, for example, that it's good to help people who are in need. Exercise creativity there. How can I help these people? I know that I should help, homelessness is not good. Figure out how to deal with homelessness. I know that um, uh, having some sort of methodology that's based in the Sharia to adjudicate problems is a fard kifaya. I want to figure out how to solve that. Okay, go ahead, figure out how to solve it. Maybe you're not the person who's going to be the judge, but you can figure out how to create a system that has judges. For example, many, many types of issues. There's many areas where we can be creative. And oftentimes we end up being creative in the wrong areas. So. Uh, you know, we, we are required to follow these people. I don't make up my own beliefs. You know, and Ash'ari, he taught us beliefs. Maturidi, he taught us beliefs. Imam Ahmed taught us beliefs. We follow what they say. And, uh, you know, we have to have some level of like good opinion of the people who came before us. Again, this is not call for blindness, it's called to understand what is there and how to interact with it. And there may be issues where someone of sound scholarship says, for example, like even, if, for example, let me give you a, try to say something more, uh, give you an example that's not specific, but it's, you know, historically speaking, up until, you know, 100 years ago, anyone who gave an opinion in the Sharia gave an opinion according to their method. I don't, I, I've tried, I can think of one exception to this rule. I'm talking after the madhabs become established. You're talking like maybe th 200, 300 years after the hijra. Up until 100 years ago, everyone gave position on their madhab. So-and-so's Hanafi gives his position in the Hanafi school. So-and-so's Maliki gives his position or her position on the Maliki school. It's fine. Okay. That doesn't mean that there's no flexibility in this. There is flexibility in it, but it's within certain parameters. So someone, for example, today could be Hanafi, and they're aware of the school, and they know the position in the school, and when it comes to their fatwa, they give an exception. And they do it according to certain conditions that are there in their school, and every school has their conditions. But it's not a free-for-all. It's not just like, I feel like this, so I'm going to go this way, and then I feel like this, so I'm going to go that way. The wind is blowing this way, and the wind is blowing that way, and this is easier, and... And it just becomes like, and you know what happens? 
then all of a sudden you have people who sit on chairs and tell you that it's acceptable. Now I'm going to open. Now I'm getting like a little bit too excited. <laughs> then you're going to have people who sit on chairs and tell you it's perfectly reasonable to have a secret marriage. You don't have to tell anyone. You have your family, you have your children, whatever, and you can just get married, guy, guy, brother, fulan on the side. You can just go ahead and get married because like, you know, you just need two witnesses and you don't need the wedding and you give her the mahr and khalas, you can get married. Is this a legitimate fatwa that could ever come on one of the madhabs? No. Because it's complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. So the whole thing just becomes actually under the guise, and this is, it needs consideration. Because for a long time I resisted this. I really resisted this for a long time. Because what, what do they always say? They say, if you don't follow a madhab, what do you end up following? You follow your desires. I'm like, no you don't. You're just either following this madhab or you're following that madhab or you're following that madhab. It doesn't necessarily mean you're following your desires. I always felt this way. And then you look at it and you're like, even a person's religiosity can be following their desires. And this is what's important about the spiritual path to Ihsan. Is that you can be doing something that is outwardly religious and it's nafs. It's outwardly good and it's pure nafs. Okay? So you find people who are like really strict on everything except for what kind of meat they eat and whether or not a marriage is legitimate. And you're like, well, that's an interesting phenomenon. Like, everything is strict except for these two issues. What kind of marriages are legitimate and what kind of meat you can eat. These are the only two issues that are loose. Every other issue is difficult. There's a problem in this. May Allah guide us. Anyways, we're required to follow these people. Are comprised of three categories. Number one, Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. It's going to be uh, Maghrib time. It's going to be Maghrib time. But let us begin nonetheless. Number one. Category number one. Three categories. Number one category. Those who dedicated themselves to clarifying the rulings of the prophetic law relating to deeds. Relating to deeds. They are the four imams and the other mujtahid imams of that time. However, from the accepted schools of practice, only those of the four imams remain. So we already, I just went into this a little bit, but what is he saying? In terms of deeds, in terms of sharia, you follow the four, one of the four madhabs. And he says, and as a matter of intellectual consistency and, and transparency, and the other imams of that time, the other mujtahid imams of that time, people who reach the level that they can go to the Quran and Sunnah directly and extract rulings. Those are the mujtahid imams. You could follow the other mujtahid imams of that time as well. However, he says, the four imams are the only ones who remain. This is, the, this is the issue. When it comes to the other schools, we don't have their opinions or their methodologies laid out in the detail that we have for the four imams. For the four imams, we can say very comfortably, this imam said such and such on this issue. And we can say very comfortably, this was their methodology. This was the way that this issue was analyzed over time by the scholars of that, of that school, and so on and so forth. We can say that like this has come to us, mutawatiran. It has come to us generation on generation upon generation that we know for sure this has been said. Usually when we have the position of another mujtahid imam from that time, we don't have this. So it might be, for example, you hear that Imam al-Awza'i, his opinion on issue X was Y. And it's written in a book of tafsir. 
So there's a book of tafsir, maybe from like 300 after Hijra. It mentions that Awza'i, he had this opinion. And then we have that book today, so we, so we have this transmission that he said that. What we don't have is, why did he say that? Did he change his opinion? Did he die on that opinion or not? You know, we don't have any of that. And we don't have any, like, the, the way that that reached us is not with the same reliability that the other schools themselves reached us. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that making sense so far? Okay. So the four imams are different in that regard. Because again, generation upon generation upon generation, you have transmission and analysis that is uh, many, many people. Okay, not just one person. Point number two. Those who dedicated themselves to working on clarifying the beliefs of As-Salaf, they are Imam Al-Ash'ari and Imam Al-Maturidi and those who followed their methodologies. So, there's a notable exception to what he's saying here. It needs some understanding. So he's saying, in Aqidah, he's saying, in Aqidah, there's two madhabs. There's the madhab of Al-Ash'ari and then the, there's the madhab of Al-Maturidi. He doesn't mention uh, Imam Ahmed. Okay, he doesn't mention Imam Ahmed. And Imam Ahmed is a uh, legitimate, his approach to Aqidah is a legitimate, verified approach, generation upon generation, from Ahmed Sunnah. So why doesn't he mention him? Okay, we put in the footnote that Imam Ahmed is also acceptable here. But uh, why he probably didn't mention him? Is that what happened? Okay, so what happened in brief? What happened in brief is the Muslims are with the Prophet them. They're in Arabia, right? After the Prophet them dies largely, Islam spreads into other places. As it spreads into other places, it bumps up against other ideologies and other civilizations and other philosophies. So it's going to bump up against the Hindu civilization in the East. It's going to bump up against the Persian civilization. It's going to bump up against the Greek civilization or the Byzantine Empire in Bilad al-Sham, right? In the lands of Sham. And all of these have their own traditions. You're bumping into Christians, you're bumping into Hindus, you're bumping into the, the Greek philosophies, you're bumping into all of this stuff. You're not bumping into like very simple Arabs who like, they have these things too, but not in the same way. When you bump into all of these things, now you have to be able to answer the questions that are important. And you have new converts, by the way, also, right? Don't forget, you have a bunch of new converts, not like one or two. You have Muslims go into places and entire lands become Muslim over a course of time. So how do you teach all of these people proper belief when they have all of these other things that they're coming from? Like they grew up watching Netflix and Amazon Prime and reading all kinds of fiction books that have their own theology and going to the grocery store and seeing advertisements and looking at things and they have their own religion so how do you teach them about your religion like really actually they have their own religion you realize it subhanallah you deal with young people and you're like the language that they're speaking with is not our language even the language of islam they don't even have it like it's because it's not in the water that they're drinking so how do you deal with this how do you deal with these people how do you you, you have to first of all be able to say why you believe what you believe. And second of all, you have to be able to say why you don't believe what they believe. And this is essentially the 
enterprise of kalam. The enterprise of point number two here is this. How do you deal with that? So Imam Abu Hassan al-Ash'ari, he formulated a methodology and a school. He led a school in order to do that. Did he make it up? No. Same thing with the four Imams, by the way. Did they make it up? No, they didn't make it up. They inherited what, became before, what came before them, and they formulated it in a way that was really amazing, and so it was carried after them. They're not, it's not because like, they made it up or something. So he came up with this method, and he codified it, and he responded to these things, and so on. At the same exact time, okay, at the same exact time, Imam Abu Mansur al-Maturidi, in a very distant place, he's Mawara al-Nahr, they call Mawara al-Nahr, like the lands that end with Stan, basically. He's over there, your major Muslim lands. And Abu Hassan al-Ash'ari is, I don't even know where actually, probably in Baghdad or somewhere, probably in Iraq area. If someone knows, just say it. Anyways, but they're in distant places. It's not like they're sitting together and having the conversation over tea or something. And they came up with methodologies that are almost identical. Like they say that the, the two schools differ on maybe like six, depends on who you ask, six points, 13 points that are minor points, they're not major points. So these two schools come up, that shows you something, right? Like when they come to very similar conclusions in very disparate places, it means there's some sort of soundness to the way they were approaching this based on the sources that they were working with. So these two schools come up. So they're both sound. Generally speaking, the Shafi'is and the Madikis follow the Ash'ari school in Aqidah, and the Hanafis follow the Maturidi school in Aqidah, generally speaking. But he doesn't mention the Hanbalis. He doesn't mention Imam Ahmed. Why? Not because it's not a legitimate approach. He doesn't mention, I believe, Ustad Fuad agreed when we talked about it. He doesn't mention the, the madhab of Imam Ahmed in Aqidah because the madhab of Imam Ahmed in Aqidah was to not do this. So it's not a school in the same way. Like, it's a set of beliefs but it's not a methodology for why you believe in them or how you respond to other people. You understand what I'm saying? So it's, we believe this, we don't ask questions. This is what we believe. This is what the Prophet said, this is what the Quran says, we don't ask questions, this is it. We don't think about it, we don't ask questions, we don't argue it, we don't debate it. This is the belief of Ahl Sunnah, khalas. Believe it or don't believe it. That's generally the approach of Imam Ahmed. Is it sound? It's definitely sound. But it's not a madhab in aqidah or theology the way that the other ones are a madhab. You understand? You see what the difference is? Because this is a very important thing. Someone will look at this and be like, see, this is just like, you know, the Hanbalis, they're not part of it. No, they're part of it. But they're not the same in the sense that they're not going to like develop this whole philosophy and methodology for how to deal with these issues. They're just going to tell you what to believe. And generally speaking, throughout the history, that was the approach of Hanbali scholars and Aqidah. Ibn Taymiyyah, as a matter of academic integrity, is not a representative of the Hanbali school in Aqidah. Now, this is not for me to open, but this I've heard from a number of people, uh, like Hanbalis themselves. And... Uh, you know, that might rub some people the wrong way. I'm not a specialist in Aqidah. You can take it up with specialists if, you, if you're really into that stuff. But uh, what I've understood is that 
uh, his method doesn't necessarily represent the madhab in aqidah of the Hanbalis. And in fiqh as well. And in fiqh as well. Unless his position, now we're getting way too technical for the average person. I'm sorry, but inshallah, you guys are all, mashallah, very educated people. You can understand what's being said. In the madhabs, I have to explain this to you now in order to say this. In the madhabs, you have opinions that were developed, and then you have methodologies, principles of interpretation that were developed. Generally, after the imams, if there's a new position that you need to make an opinion on, you don't go directly to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. You go to the principles that were derived by the imam, and you do takhrij on that. So you use those principles to arrive at a new position. Uh, so what they say, for example, about Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, uh, is that uh, he's considered as an authority in the Hanbali school if his position in fiqh agrees with the takhrij of, of, of the madhab. So you have to be kind of like a scholar of the madhab to be able to be able to differentiate when it does and when it doesn't. I'm exhausting you and I'm exhausting myself going into this. Alhamdulillah, it's time for <laughs> Maghrib break. <laughs> Alhamdulillah that it's time for Maghrib break. The point is that these are things that were inherited generation upon generation upon generation all the way up to, to, now, up to now. All the way up to now. And uh, don't understand from it that it's like some sort of rigidity that you can't change. It's not at all. You know, you can, you, the Mufti, for example, in the Hanafi school can look at the position of the school and say, this is too difficult in our reality because of the situation that we're in. And we're going to give fatwa on this position. They can do that as a scholar in the school. But because they know what they're doing, it still has some level of indibat. still has some level of... Uh, Consistency. There's a consistency to it still. It's not just uh, throw the water balloon, fill the water balloon with paint and throw it at the wall and see what splashes on it. And like, you know, that looks like a goat to me. All right. Number three. Number three. Uh, which I'm not going to comment on in much detail. We'll break. I'm just going to finish it for the sake of completion. Number three category is those who dedicated themselves to actual deeds and spiritual exertion in accordance with, with what was laid out by the first two groups. Very, very important. So now we're talking about the people who did it. Here's what you're supposed to believe. Here's what you're supposed to do. Then there's the people who did that. And they became the embodiment of what the teachings of Islam actually are. They lived it. They were what it is. And these people must do that in accordance with what, was, with what was laid out by the first two groups. So I said this last time, when you say tasawwuf, and someone says, oh, these Sufis in this tasawwuf, they're just crazy people. It is not tasawwuf if it goes against number one and number two. This is the standard belief of all of the people of knowledge and all of Muslim history. If it goes against number one and number two, it is not tasawwuf. It is not Sufi, it is goofy. Okay. And we've seen it over and over and over and over and over again, right? Like, go talk to your grandparents or your parents. They'll be like, yeah, I remember this guy. He was like crawling backwards and he like ate fire. And he said he did it because he made salawat on the Prophet. So I said, okay, it's just like too much crazy stuff. Number one and number two. Okay, and we'll talk more about this after we pray, inshallah. If we can just like, someone can make a then uh, a relatively...
measured one, but not too measured. And then we'll, we'll begin Salah, inshallah, so that we can continue. Like, therefore, their madhabs are madhabs of fiqh. Do and don't do. Do and don't do. Uh, it's permissible to do this, it's not permissible to do that, so on and so forth. This is the world of fiqh. The four imams are, when we refer to them, we're referring to their madhabs in fiqh. Although, by the time that they were in and so on, they were also imams in other things. This is what makes the four imams so special. Later on, usually you don't find that same level of expertise in every field. So you can legitimately say for all of the four imams that they were all also imams in hadith. And they were all also imams in aqidah. You can probably legitimately say that. Shafi'i might not be as well known for that, but you can. Um, but when we talk about the four imams, we're talking about their fiqh. When you talk about aqidah, you talk about the two madhabs of Ash'ari and Maturidi, and then you can also add of Imam Ahmed. Another note that is important here is to uh, know that in all of these fields, with all of these uh, imams and specializations and so on, uh, the books to be studied that are reliable at every, at every uh, level of study and in every generation were known. Like, so for, for example, someone's Hanafi and Fiqh. There are Hanafi Imams in every generation. So someone who's studying knows, okay, this is the Imam of this school in my time. This is the Imam of this school in my time. And they know which works are reliable and which ones are less reliable and so on. Why I'm saying that is because that also means that the way to study the religion is known. This is not like, a, you don't have to figure it out. <laughs> you know, like if you want to study Aqidah, you study this text, then you study this text, then you study this text. There's interchangeable. There might be like five or six that you do at the basic level. And then there's five or six that you could do at an intermediary level that are well known. And there's five or six that are above that and so on. Across the board. And if you get through the beginning level and you get to the intermediate level and you get to the advanced level, then basically you became some level of scholarship in that subject. You can do that for every subject. I was just thinking about when I was praying how one of the things that we started at the Majlis, Imam Ustad uh, Fuad, first when we opened the Majlis, he would say salam to both sides and he would hold his hands across his stomach. Because our community doesn't have any understanding that Madikis pray different than Hanafis and Shafi'is. Right? So then eventually we told him, like, okay, look, we have to tell people, like, we have to teach them something. So just do what you would do. Hey, Dr. Jackson has a story like this, that one time, he's, Dr. Jackson is Maliki. So one time the imam in his masjid when he used to live in Michigan, forget what it was, like, it might have been a big prayer, Eid or some, one of these big prayers, and the imam wasn't going to be there, so he's like, can you lead the prayer? He's like, are you sure about that? You sure you want me to do this? He's like, yeah, lead the prayer. He's like, because when I pray, I pray on my madhab. That's like, this is what I know. So he, he prayed on his madhab and people lost it. <laughs> people completely lost it, you know. They're like calling the imam, our prayer is not valid and like everything. So he told him, you have to pray like the way that the madhab prays. And still, of course, it's new for people, right? You don't know that. They just make one tasneem. Assalamu alaikum. 
holds the hands at the side. Everyone is like, are you Shia? Are you... As if like they're the only people that can hold their hands at the side or something. It's very strange. But it's because we don't know. And, we, and, and us like shying away from it doesn't help us to know. Um, and then you hear really funny things. Like people will tell you, uh, no, Imam Malik, like, he prayed with his hands at his side because he was beaten and he couldn't lift his hands. Okay, so like, just let me make sure I'm understanding this correctly. His students, and every generation afterwards, deemed, I don't know about every generation, I'm not Maliki, but like the mashur opinion of the Maliki school is that you pray with your hands at your side. So all of them didn't realize that he was beaten and he couldn't pray with his hands, at his, couldn't cross his hands. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Some of the things that get said, they don't even make sense. And then they're like, Imam Malik prayed this way. They're like, well, show me the hadith where, he, where the Prophet Sallallahu prayed me prayed this way. Like, do you understand who Imam Malik is? Imam Malik is Imam Darun Hijra. He's the Imam of Medina. He's the, he's, the, he's the top Imam of Medina one generation after the Prophet Sallallahu and just think about that for a second. Like, you think the people of Medina didn't know how to pray? And he took his practice from the practice of the people of Medina. Like, if you think that the people of Medina didn't know how to pray, we have a lot of problems. Because if, if you can't trust that, then how can you trust anything that you're hearing about your religion? You can't trust any of it at that point. Because, like, that's... Imam, he like... <laughs> If you start really thinking about it, you're like, wait a second, this doesn't... It's not working. Sure, if you want to know the evidence, fine. But like, just know that... His statement is a stronger evidence than the evidence for you. And for me. Okay. Abu Hanifa's position is a stronger evidence for me than the hadith. Don't misunderstand it and call me a kafir. Okay? For me, Abu Hanifa's position is stronger than the hadith. Because now in, in Abu Hanifa's position, I know how he understood that hadith in the body of the Quran and the other hadith and the practice of the Salaf and the opinions of the Sahaba and everyone else. Okay? So we're on number three. Those who dedicated themselves to actual deeds and spiritual exertion in accordance with what was laid out by the first two groups, they are Imam Abu Qasim al-Junaid and those who followed his way. Now, we said before that al-Junaid, he said that this path of ours is bound by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It's bound by the Qur'an and the Sunnah. There is no Islamic spirituality without Qur'an and Sunnah. There is no Islamic spirituality without the Sharia. You could be the most popular person in the, mo- in the face of the earth. You can give the most motivating speeches. You can change people's lives. You can touch millions of people in positive ways. You are not exempt from the Sharia. And anything that you say about spirituality is bound by the Sharia. We, 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 this is Nata'abudullahu biha. Nata'abudullah bi. This is what we worship Allah by. We don't worship Allah by one person and one person and one person and one person. The Prophet did not guarantee the preservation of this Ummah by one person. But he, preser- he guaranteed the preservation of the Ummah by the Ummah. That when the Ummah agrees on something, then this is when it's a matter of preservation, a matter of sanctity. But people will always make mistakes. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us and all of the people that we look up to. Ameen.
inshallah the mistakes are small ones that are easily corrected uh, and the small ones are big ones for people who know better this is all it, you know it's all there and uh, uh, it's all there these three groups are the elect of the of al-ummah al-muhammadiyah and anyone on other he's going to give some very strong things right now so if you have questions please ask them uh, and by the way if this is all new to you and it doesn't feel right to you and you feel like it's complete nonsense and you rather listen to someone else there's no problem in that like we're not here to build some sort of cult like I taught you something and you have to listen to it and I'm the ultimate authority on I'm not an ultimate authority on anything other than what kind of tea I like to drink I'm an authority on my own tea but other than that there's not really anything okay and you study and you learn and you come and you debate and you disagree and you ask questions and say you know I heard this what do you think about that so it's all good alhamdulillah these three groups are the elect of al-ummah and muhammadiyah and anyone on other than them is upon misguidance so you're saying these are the three groups anyone who's on other than these three groups is on misguidance although some of them may still be considered to be upon islam which is a very important distinction he's making very important distinction someone can be on misguidance and still be a muslim so we say for example that in aqidah these three schools are the schools of sunni orthodoxy if someone follows a school that's outside of sunni orthodoxy are they still a muslim yes they're still a muslim as long as there's 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 big issues and there's small issues or i should say there's big issues and there's not as big issues and we can accept difference in some of them and the person can still be a Muslim so like the Mu'tazila historically were considered to be a heterodox group in Muslim theology the Mu'tazila it's hard to explain in, 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 in brief but basically if I was to say like how could you understand they're like extreme rationalists extreme rationalists so they reject a lot of things they reject a lot of hadith they do different stuff Whereas the way, the way of Ahl-Sunnah generally is to balance between ration and revelation, reason and revelation, to find the sweet spot between reason and revelation. But they were extreme rationalists, and they took a many, many of the modern people who people listen to and stuff are actually regurgitating the positions of the extreme rationalists. They don't know it, but they are. I'm trying to block the light from behind me for the people who are online, in case you're wondering what I'm doing. Um... But is, is the person still a Muslim? They're still a Muslim. They're, they're not not a Muslim anymore. Someone doesn't follow the four medhevs. Are they not a Muslim? No, they're still a Muslim. Are they doing something that's like sound? Inshallah. But maybe not. But are they still a Muslim? Yes. Will they still be rewarded? Allahu alam. Depends on a lot of details. But inshallah they will be. We, you know, we think well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if we really want to get it right, this is what it was. Okay. The one who is saved is the one whose beliefs are in accordance with what was clarified by Ahl Sunnah and whose deeds are according to what was laid out by the four acceptable schools in deeds. I moved over this became closer. So the one who is saved is the one whose belief is in accordance with Ahlul Sunnah and its beliefs and their deeds are in accordance with Ahlul Sunnah and their deeds. Okay? So what does it mean? What we already covered. It's clear? This is the one who's saved. In addition, 
In addition, complete blessing and salvation is in following the way of Al-Junaid. Uh, who can I ask? Ali, can you bring this thing and move it here? Please, the, just be careful when you grab it if it's hot. Just the smoke. You can just put it like here or something. That's good. Alhamdulillah. Great. Thank you. In addition, complete blessing and salvation is in following the way of Al-Junaid and his followers after rectifying after rectifying one's religion in accordance with the first two groups previously mentioned. This is really important. You find people who are really interested in Islamic spirituality, they want to find a sheikh, they want to find a teacher, so on and so forth, and they don't want to put in the basic effort to learn basic beliefs and basic fiqh. If you learn basic beliefs and basic fiqh, it's a great protection against false teachers. It's very important. And what is he saying? If you want like, to take it to the next level, after you've rectified the first two, you follow the way of Junaid. After you rectified the first two, you follow the way of Junaid. Now, is this something that takes like a lifetime? No, it's not. The class that, that Ustad Fuad is teaching is going to cover the basics in belief and the basics in fiqh. Inshallah, we'll do a Hanifi one too. I haven't decided when, but we'll do a Hanifi one too, inshallah. Then it'll take like, you know, eight, ten sessions, maybe fifteen sessions, and then it'll be done. It's not like the work of a lifetime. From those who took the way of Al-Junaid. So now we already know the ones who took the way of Ahl-Sunnah in beliefs. We know the ones who took the way of Ahl-Sunnah in, in deeds. Who are the ones who took the way of Al-Junaid? Who are the ones who took the way of Al-Junaid? So he says it uh, here. From those who took the way of Al-Junaid are Imam Ahmed ibn al-Rifai and his followers. Imam Abdul Qadir al-Jilani and his followers. Sayyid Ahmed al-Badawi and his followers. Sayyid Ibrahim al-Dusuqi and his followers. Sayyid Ali ibn Hassan al-Shaduni and his followers. Sayyid Muhammad al-Khalwati and his followers. And Sayyid Abdullah al-Naqshabandi and his followers. They are the masters of al-Ummah al-Muhammadiyah. May God be pleased with them and us by them. Ameen. To be honest, I can't really give you off the top biographies of all of these people. But all of these people are generally, like, their ways are almost like medhebs in the world of spirituality. I'll put it that way. Sometimes people claim them and they don't claim them with truth. Sometimes people claim them and they're true. Allahu alam. The point is, these are big people. Um. Al-Rifai, Al-Jilani, Al-Badawi, Al-Dusuqi, Al-Shaduni, Al-Naqshabandi, Al-Khalwati. All of them are big people. Is this an exhaustive list? It is not meant to be an exhaustive list. Okay? Um, there are others. It's not meant to be exhaustive. The Shaykh or Shaykha, here we go. Go for a little bit longer, not too long. Okay, maybe like another 15 minutes. If my battery doesn't die. It's getting kind of low. Let me turn the brightness down. Alright. Uh, the sheikh or sheikha who guides to God must have, number one, taken the path to God from a true sheikh, from the sheikhs of the path. The path here refers to the path that's taken by the people of Junaid, like the followers of Junaid, the path to God. So they took a path to God, they tried to rectify themselves, and they attained to some level of proximity to God. 
that their relationship with God became real. They overcame their nafs. And they're able now to guide others. Right? So the Shaykh who is guiding to God must have taken this path on from a true Shaykh from the Shaykhs of the path. Number one. Number two, he must have exhausted himself and struggled against himself until his soul was purified. And the base desires, diseases and desires of his human condition were removed. Okay, so number one, they have to have a sound teacher. Number two, they have to have done the work. They have to have done the work. And you'll find lapses at both of these. Maybe the person sought a spiritual guide, but that spiritual guide wasn't sound. And they could only get from them what they had. Maybe the person has 20%. You're only going to get 20%. If they have 50%, you can only get 50%, whatever. The second possibility is that they have a sound teacher, but they didn't do the work. They're just on cruise control. So like, I have a great teacher, mashallah, my teacher is a righteous person. And I love this person. And that's a beautiful and a good thing. But it's not going to take you very far. Because you have to fight your own nafs. They don't fight it for you. Right? They give you guidance, they give you support, however they can, so on and so forth. But they can't do it for you. It's like, you know, you could watch a million YouTube videos on jujitsu and look up to the people who are really good teachers in jiu-jitsu and suck at jiu-jitsu. And you get in a fight and you get destroyed. Because you never did it. You didn't actually do it. It's not, there's the amount of hours that have to be put into the actual struggle, the actual work. Right? There's a reason why after medical school you have residency. Because you have to do the work. And you do the work and the more complicated the issue is, the more work you have to put in before you're deemed to be qualified. Okay? And this is the most complicated issue. This is why most of the people who take the path on true teachers, they don't necessarily ever reach a place where they can teach others. They might, be, they might have like a true sheikh, and they work hard for 50 years, and they can never teach someone else. You have great sheikhs who die, and they have no successor. They didn't name a successor. Because there's no one they felt like they could name. So either you have it or you don't. Like it's not, you don't just get like an honorary pass in this thing. Uh, so, you know, number two is they went against their nefs. If this is not the case, if this is not the case, then he must be avoided. I bolded this when I translated it. If this is not the case, then he must be avoided. Can you benefit from the person in general? You can benefit from the person in general, but you can't take them as your guide. And if you take them as your guide, like, this is the person, this is my, my person who's going to help me in my journey to Allah in like a really serious way, they can give you things that are already there. Like, you know, if they tell you you should have taqwa. Okay, alhamdulillah, I should have taqwa. We agree. You should follow the sharia. Alhamdulillah, you should follow the sharia. We're fine on that. But can they really be your guide? No. Because they didn't actually do it. They didn't actually do it. Yes. All of the stuff that came before. <laughs> right? and, and some of the things that are going to come after. Some of the things that are going to come after too. So like before when we said uh, the signs of the Shaykh are, I'll just repeat them quickly, these eight. Signs of the Shaykh are generosity, good character, concern for the creation of God, not being engrossed in acquiring worldly things, not making claims, even speaking with the terminology of the people of spirituality, unless there is a specific need for doing so not complaining about constriction in worldly affairs or from people not giving them attention, to see upon them the signs of humility, brokenness, and loving to be hidden from the people, and to see the signs of barakah and rectitude on their followers. These are the eight things that he mentioned before. 
Uh, you can find this paper on our website. You can find the paper on the website in the publication section. Uh, so those are like major things. Because number two, you can't really quantify, right? Like who are you to decide if they defeated their nafs or not? You can't. But if you know, but you, you can ask someone's teacher. So who was your teacher? Totally valid. Totally valid. So like, where, what is, where did you get this from? And then you can look up that person and find out about that person and so on. And see, you know, what was their relationship with them. Okay? There are many people, this continues the imam, there are many people who followed one of the four imams, but their beliefs strayed from the beliefs of the imams and the, the other imams of aqidah. And so they did not believe according to the way of Ahl Sunnah. There are many deviant sects of this type, such as Al Qadriyyah. There's Al Qadriyyah, there's Al Jabriyyah, there's the Mu'tazila, there's all kinds of sects that existed in Muslim history. It's not the place or the time. Maybe Ustad Ru'ad will do it sometime. But basically, like, there's a sect that believed you have absolute free will. God doesn't control it. You have absolute free will. There's a sect that believed you have absolutely no free will. You're completely. Go, determined by God at all times So if like someone walks up to you and punches you in the face It was because God made them do it This was one of the positions And then you have Ahl Sunnah went between And other groups also And then there are those This is now another group, another category And then there are those who claim that they have taken the path No, sorry I missed a paragraph And there are also those who did not accept To follow the four Imams in deeds Or Ahl Sunnah in beliefs And they are even more misguided Than the first group Okay, they're even more misguided than the first group. And now he's going to get off. There's not much left actually in this paper. It's pretty. It's a short translation. Um, we'll probably finish it next time. But I love this paragraph. This paragraph is the paragraph that made me translate this paper. This paragraph is the paragraph that made me translate it because I was like, oh man. He went in right here. He said, and then there are those who claim that they have taken the path, listen carefully. And then there are those who claim that they have taken the path of the people of God, wearing their style of clothes and speaking in a way that deludes the people into believing that they are from them. The reality is that this type of person is useless. He fills his stomach with food with no regard for its permissibility, sleeps all through the night, and desires the material world like a predator stalks its prey. That, that line was like, this one and the one after it are, and, and desires the material world like a predator stalks its prey. The ego of such a person convinces him that he is a true sheikh. So it's not necessarily that they even re realize that they're deluded, but they're deluded. So, you know, like, they'll call you and they put their hand on you and they make dua for you and they do all this spiritual stuff and they have no business doing it. They have no business doing it. But they think they do. They have not, their ego deluded them into thinking that. The ego of such a person convinces him that he is a true shaykh. He has followers, oh, this line. He has followers that hunt the filth of this life for him under the false deity of his shaykhood. He has followers that hunt the filth of this life for him under the false deity of his shaykhud. I had to make up a word. Shaykhud. Shaykhud. 
We're going to have to read the paragraph again. It's too much. And my computer is going to turn off. Uh, they make claims that they have something of real value. They are liars. They are the ones referred to by Sayyid ibn Farid in the following lines of poetry. They contented themselves with their fantasies and were tried by their base desires. They claimed to swim in the oceans of divine love, but they never even got wet. They are the ones who never left their starting place in their journey. They didn't even go anywhere, and they still got tired. Indeed, they, are even, they even went backwards, Imam al-Dardir. Indeed, they even went backwards because they followed what their base desires compelled them to. So Satan drove them to whatever he wanted from them. As the poet said, they strayed from my way out of jealousy when they chose blindness over, over guidance. I'm going to read this paragraph again and then we'll close. And then there are those who claim that they have taken the path of the people of God, wearing their style of clothes and uh, speaking in a way that deludes the people into believing that they are from them. The reality is that this type of person is useless. He fills his stomach with food with no regard for its permissibility, sleeps all through the night, and desires the material world like a predator stalks its prey. The ego of such a person convinces him that he is a true sheikh. He has followers that hunt the filth of this life for him under the false deity of his sheikhhood. They make claims that they have something of real value. They are liars. They are the ones referred to by Sayyid ibn Farid in the following lines of poetry. They contented themselves with their fantasies and were tried by their base desires. They claimed to swim in the oceans of divine love, but they never even got wet. They are the ones who never left their starting place in their journey. They didn't even go anywhere, and they still got tired. Muhammad Dardir continues, Indeed, they even went backwards because they followed what their base desires compelled them to. So Satan drove them to whatever he wanted from them. As the poet said, They strayed from my way out of jealousy when they chose blindness over guidance. And he continues, actually, there's another uh, paragraph. Another two paragraphs about the false teacher and what they're like. Three paragraphs. And then he concludes. And then he concludes. So we'll finish next time, inshallah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. My computer is going to turn off soon, but if you Zoom people have anything, you're welcome to. If anyone here has anything, you're welcome to, inshallah. MashaAllah, what a beautiful. They really struggle to figure out how to get these lights up. That's how much, that's how much they love you guys. Don't the lights make a big difference? They were struggling so hard to figure out how. Even one of the brothers almost stepped on one of the lights with his bare foot. It was really scary. And, but that's how much they love you guys, that they wanted you to have a good experience. May Allah reward them. Anyone have any questions or comments or anything? Yes. The fifth madhabs? Uh, for the fiqh madhabs, you can look at the four imams by Abu Zahra. It's translated by Aisha Buli. It's just called the four imams. The four imams. Aisha Buli. She translated it. And did some sort of abridgment. She's Maliki, so she put Malik first. She did other things too. <laughs> the originals... The original books of the four Imams were written by Imam Abu Zahra, who's a modern scholar, who wrote in, uh, an individual book in Arabic on each of them. The book's like 300 pages. And then the translation is about like this thick, but she, you know, it's. So she clearly had to abridge some things. 
That's, which is reasonable. She had to abridge some things, but it's it's a good book. It's a good starting point. There's also a series that, that it gives you more of their life. It goes it goes into some of their methodology, but it gives you more of their life and their character and stuff. And also, there's a series by Dr. Hisham Al Awudi called The Four Imams. You might find it online somewhere. That I remember listening to when before we went to Egypt. It was great. It's like really inspiring. We learn about these people. It's really they're amazing. They were amazing people. Subhanallah. Um, so that's a good starting point. It's the best I know in English. Yes. Who is that? Is that Ibrahim? Seeking knowledge, how do you know if you're falling into the trap of your own ego? Uh, I would say that generally speaking, it's likely that you are. You are? Yeah. Uh, just sometimes it's bit more and sometimes it's less. Because actually studying has a lot of ego in it. You know, you study and you learn things and now you can talk and you can have opinions and you know, like, you start to really feel good about yourself. There's a lot of ego in studying. That's why all of these three, three disciplines have to always be together. And why ideally you learn from Alim Rabbani. You learn from a scholar who you can feel their taqwa. Because if you can feel their taqwa, it's going to affect you. It's going to keep you in check. Um, and you need, you need, you know, we need... People who we take from. There's various levels of people you can take from. I think we talked about this in the beginning. right? Like not everyone has to be the greatest scholar for me to take knowledge from them. Not everyone has to be the greatest sheikh of tarbiyah for me to benefit from them in my spiritual development. But being around these people helps. Big things that are important to do when learning are to follow a proper methodology. Start and take it step by step. Don't jump. Don't like skip A and go to C and D and philosophical conversations and all of these things, which is the academic model, by the way. Western academic model of studying Islam is to do that. It's very nafs driven. Um, and then, you know, like try not to teach until people tell you that you can. Just keep your mouth shut. If you're studying like for real studying, if you're studying for real studying, just keep your mouth shut. There's no reason, like for the most part, there's not a whole lot of reason for us to say things we don't need to say. Um, if someone else is saying it, alhamdulillah, someone else is saying it. Sometimes we might have a conversation with a friend, a family member, we need to say something. We should try to stick to the things that we really know and not overdo our claim about them. So you can share something you learned, but without making a claim that it's everything. Unless we know that it's everything. Like maybe, you know, I learned that there's five salawat and they're all required. And someone says, no, only three are required. And you're like, listen, five are required. <laughs> you, can, you can be firm on that, you know. Um, but just, you know, to be careful, take it step by step. Learn properly, keep good teachers, keep people who give you taqwa. Take care of your spirituality. Don't think like, you know, I'm so busy studying, I can't pray. Um, no, you need to pray. Uh, yeah.
Absolutely. And we do our best. We make mistakes. It's life. Dunya is not perfect, people. We do our best. We make mistakes. We do our best. Sometimes it doesn't go the way we want it to go. We do our best. We trust someone. We realize later we shouldn't have trusted them. We did our best. This is dunya. Sometimes we're wronged. There's no way we can prove it. It's dunya. Like the Prophet ﷺ specifically taught us this. And the books of the books of law is specifically there. There's a difference between what's qada'an and diyanatan. What you can actually prove in a court of law and what's between you and Allah. Someone can come. Say for example a guy divorces his wife with a statement that's not clear. It's kinaya. A statement that's not clear, whether or not it counts as a divorce is dependent upon his intention. So he says, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Get out of here. Does that count as divorce or not? If he comes and he says, I didn't intend divorce, it doesn't count as divorce. Technically, don't, let's not get into like, oh, that doesn't, just stick. <laughs> don't get lost. Uh, but if he comes and he says, I did intend divorce, it counts as divorce. Is it possible for him to come and say, I didn't intend divorce, and he actually did intend divorce when he said it? And so now you have like, but you have to rule according to one thing, but the reality with Allah is something else. And the Prophet ﷺ said, two of you come to me, and one of you is more eloquent in making their position. So the one who I rule in their favor, and they've lied about it, and they take what I ruled to them in their favor, they've taken a coal from the coals of the hellfire. So even the Prophet ﷺ, Someone could come to him and bear false testimony and he has to go with what's in front of him and that's it. It's false testimony. It's a piece of the hellfire. The dunya is incomplete. That's my point. We might try to do everything right and we might end up with a teacher who teaches us wrong. I mean, I can look back on my life and be like, man, I really shouldn't have listened to that person. There's parts in my life when I was studying, there's people I really shouldn't have listened to. I believe that they led me astray. And it took years to overcome like the consequences of that false mentorship. It's dunya, what are you going to do? Look for real mentors. That's all there is left. All that's left is this Allah, this is what I'm supposed to do. Okay, I'm going to keep trying. This applies to a lot of things. This applies to a lot of things. You know? Allah help us. Allah protect us. There's nothing, nothing better than a real teacher. There's nothing worse than a false teacher. Worse than shaitan even in some ways. False teacher. Shaitan, you know he's shaitan. Tries to trick you and stuff, but you know he's shaitan. Shaitan in the clothing of a sheikh. Oof. Nothing worse. Okay. Anyone else have anything? Any questions? Any comments? Someone's saying something. Who's saying something? Nasreen. When it comes to like learning from like schools of thought, like the only thing that I've like came around is like a lot of people quote like certain scholars that I was taught like, oh, like don't go by the scholar, 
like for example like Ibn Taymiyyah they, some people quote that and when I talk to different people they would say no some uh, people fabricated what he said and some people went to the extreme saying that he's actually kafir when it comes to going by quotes or something of him what do you do in that point because a lot of people like in other schools and other places that's like the main person that I noticed they quote yeah it's a good question a little bit thorny but it's a good question um It is possible that things were attributed to Ibn Taymiyyah that were not actually his statements. That has happened in Muslim history with people. You know, that a, something was... And this is why the madhabs are so important. Because the knowledge has been verified. Whereas if it's an individual, maybe they wrote a book. When someone copied the book, they added something. This happens, right? So it hasn't been verified in the same way. But what that tells us in the end is like, if it hasn't been verified in the same way, then I can't rely upon it in the same way either. Um, so, like, what I said about Ibn Taymiyyah, I think, is a position of... Many people will differ with me on this, you know. This is a, this is a very thorny thing to say in the Muslim-American community. Uh, but this is what I believe to be true. And uh, what I believe great scholars have told me is true. So... You know, Ibn Taymiyyah, he's with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, may Allah have mercy on him. He was clearly a man of great learning. Clearly a man of great learning. And um, there were things that he said that were very true. There's things that he said that were very wise, I'm sure. And there are other things that we differ with. And we differ with them based on the verification and analysis of the schools that he belonged to. So he belonged to the Hanbali school in Fiqh. He belonged to the Hanbali school in Aqidah. So we look to those. So we look to that school to tell us, you know, what to think about him. And there were many people between him and 200 years ago. Not only the Hanbalis of the last 200 years do we have to look at. Um, you know, uh, there were Hanbalis after him that had opinions too, from the students of his students and so on. Ibn Rajab and others. So, you know, anyone who's gone to Allah, we leave it with a grain of salt. We take what there's benefit from and we leave the rest. And we know what there's benefit in from the verification of these schools. Like, this, this is what's tried and true. So we stick to what's tried and true. Allahu alam. If someone else does something else, then that's, their, you know, that's for them to figure out. And if they want to talk about it, we can talk about it. But, alhamdulillah. Ibn Taymiyyah had a lot of issues with some of the people we've studied, by the way. Like Ibn Ata'ala, who we studied his hikam, they had uh, big issues, big debates and stuff. He was even imprisoned yeah. because of it. The reason why I was asking is because the the Aqidah is, is what I learned was deferred. The, that was the main thing about like Allah and his attributes. That's why I was wondering. Yeah. Fabricated, was it not fabricated? So it's just Allah Alam Ahkam can't say basically. Allah Alam if it's fabricated. But I mean all I would say is that if someone is serious about studying the Athari school, the Athari school or the Hanbali school in Aqidah, then 
in every madhab, this is, look at the general principle. In every madhab, we don't look at one person. In every madhab, generation upon generation upon generation, you have scholars, you have books, you have research, you have analysis, so on and so forth. In every school. In the fiqh, in the aqidah. So if someone is serious about studying the Athari school, which is a very noble and honorable school in aqidah, all I would suggest is that they should look beyond Ibn Taymiyyah. If they want to benefit from Ibn Taymiyyah, and they feel that they can, whatever, that's their choice. I don't personally recommend that. But that's their choice. But if they're serious about it, they should look beyond that. Because that's what anyone would do if they study. You study one person, you study another person. Because you're looking for a, met- a methodology that is integrated. It's not just one piece. It's an entire thing. So there should be other people that are going to back that position before and after. And so, and there's plenty of Athari scholars that wrote in Aqidah. You can look at Ibn Qudama, he was very harsh on the Ash'aris, but you can look at Ibn Al-Qudama. Um, what's the other one that we studied? I forget what his name was. Anyways, if someone is serious about it, you can look up Sheikh Yusuf Sadiq Al-Hanbali on Facebook. Hanbali, the Hanbali School, Madrasa Hanbali on Facebook. And go take classes with him and ask him whatever questions you want. Inshallah. Yeah. But that basis in the four schools of thought, isn't it? They have the same aqidah about God, like no matter what scholar Britain to be correct. The wise, isn't it? All of them line on the same understanding. Yeah, I mean, they lie on the same usul in aqidah. They might differ in some furu'ah. The Ash'aris and the Maturidis differ in some furu'ah, in some secondary issues. But they're not issues that would invalidate the person's aqidah. So the Athari's would also agree on the same foundational issues. So in short, yes, but yani, some details. And I'm not the aqidah specialist. I'm the nothing specialist. And ask Ustad Fuad, inshallah. Maybe one day I'll be a fiqh specialist. Maybe one day. Make dua for me. Anyone else? Barakallahu feekum. Subhanakallahumma. Bihamdik. Nashara wa la ilaha illa. Nastaghfiruk. Natubu ilayk. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad fil awwalin wa salli alayhi fil akhirin wa salli alayhi fi kulli waqtin waheen wa salli alayhi ya rabbana fil mala al-ala ila yawmuddin Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad ibn qulubi wa dawaiha wa afiyatan abdani wa shifaiha wa nawrna basari wa diyaiha wa alayhi wa sallam Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad salatin tunjina biha min jami'i al-ahwali wa al-afatu taqdinana biha jami'i al-hajatu tuzahiruna biha min jami'i al-sayyat وترفعنا بها عندك على درجات وتبلغنا بها أقصن خيرات أقصن غايات من جميع الخيرات في الحياة وبعد الممات الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله السلام الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا حبيبي يا قدوتي يا شفيعي يا قرة عيني يا نور دأبنا يا خير خلق الله الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله الصلاة والسلام عليك يا سيدي يا رسول الله اللهم آتنا نفوسنا تقواها وزكها أنت خير من زكاها أنت وليها ومولاها اللهم زدنا علما وعملا صالحا اللهم 
فقهنا في الدين وعلمنا التأويل اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وزقنا اجتنابه اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وزقنا اجتنابه اللهم أيد إخواننا المستضعفين في كل مكان كن معهم يا الله يا الله يا مغيث المستضعفين أغثهم يا الله أغثهم يا الله أغثهم يا الله برحمتك وجودك وكرمك ولطفك يا الله يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم وفقنا لما تحبه وترضاه وجعلنا من عبيدك السعداء وأمتنا على كلمة هدى وفقنا يا الله وفقنا يا الله افتح علينا يا فتاح يا عليم يا عالم السر منا لا تهدك الستر عنا وعافنا وعف عنا وكن لنا حيث كنا اهدنا واهدي بنا وجعلنا سببا لمن اهتدى اللهم ثبت أقدامنا وانصرنا على قوم كافرين اللهم سد خطواتنا وبارك لنا في طريقنا ودلنا على من يدلنا عليك وخذ بأيدينا يا الله خذ بأيدينا يا الله خذ بأيدينا يا الله يا ربي جعلنا متصلين بما جاء من قبلنا غير منقطعين ولا قاطعين يا الله أوصلنا بمن وصلك أوصلنا بمن وصلك أوصلنا بمن وصلك وأوصلنا إلى ما يوصلنا إليك ووفقنا إلى كل خير وتجاوز عن سيئاتنا وتجاوز عن شاكلنا وأمراضنا وكلما نقدم إليك من الخبث والفحش يا الله يا رب كن معنا وفقنا إلى مسلك الحبيب المصطفى وقربنا إلى ما يقربنا إليك Allah we ask you for knowledge that benefits us Allah give us knowledge that benefits us protect us and our families Allah help us to worship you in the best way show us truth as truth and help us to follow it show us falsehood as falsehood and help us to stay away from it we ask you Allah to be with those who are oppressed wherever they may be to aid those who are suffering wherever they may be we ask you Allah to be in the aid of those who are in the aid of those who are suffering to be in the help of those who are in the help of those who are in need we ask you Allah to guide us to those who have reached you and to guide us to those who will guide us to you we ask you Allah to make us from those who are connected to that which has come before us not those who are severed nor those who sever we ask you Allah to guide us in all of our affairs and to be with us in everything that we do and to protect us from all evil wherever it may be we ask you Allah to forgive us of our shortcomings to forgive us of our sins to forgive us of our uh, egregious actions we ask you Allah to purify our hearts and to purify our souls and you are the best of those who can purify them and you are the owner of us you are the owner of our souls you are the master of our souls you are the master of everything that we have Ya Allah so we ask you to purify us to take us by our hands to you Allah take us by our hands to you take us by our hands to you and guide us to your pleasure and to your love and to your mercy and, guide, and make us closer to everything that makes us closer to you and distance us from anything that makes us distant from you and make us protect us from being deluded by our egos and ourselves and being from those who seek to worship you but end up worshiping ourselves Allahumma ameen wa sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam 
الحمد لله رب العالمين وآخر دعوانا ونعصب سعيد رب العالمين سبحانه وبحمده 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 سبحانه